You know, there should be a little um, exception made for new priests that there's certain passages you don't have to do for about a year, just so we can get to know each other first, right? But, but here we are. Um, and as one of my great preaching friends says, um, when it doesn't sound like good news to you, we should consider for whom this might be good news. I could then sit down, but, but there you are. So I'm told this Sunday, this is the Sunday that Pride, um, the Pride Parade would come down Peachtree. Um, I haven't been here before, so as far as I can tell, it's just a rumor, but what I hear is there's a Pride Parade, and it goes down Peachtree, and people from this church get to hand out bottles of water, and it's a really fun day. Um, I'll believe it when it happens, but apparently it's today. And this is the second year that for health and safety reasons, there's no march or parade. Um, it'll be really wonderful when it's back. Um, but I have had, I'll tell you, my own little internal pride parade this past week because I've just felt really proud of some stories of St. Luke's. I'm going to get to the tough gospel, but we're going to start with this. <laughs> so this past week, unrelated to very different conversations on different days, I heard this. And also, I didn't, give, um, I didn't ask for permission to share these stories, so I won't tell you who's in them, but I bet you'll know. I might be the only one who doesn't know everyone in these stories, right? And there are stories of two stories of what brought someone to St. Luke's. So one, a now longtime parishioner, once new to Atlanta, went around visiting different Episcopal and Anglican churches. This could be almost all of you, right? <laughs> to find the one that felt like home. I know everyone, you gotta, you gotta wonder which story I'm telling. Um, so in one visit, the now, again, longtime St. Luke's prisoner, many of you will, will they, this person would have been here the entire time that you were here, um, was advised that whatever they did, they're at another church this Sunday, they shouldn't go to St. Luke's. Yeah, I really enjoyed this story, I have to say. So upon inquiring why that was, they were told it was because the priest that they were talking to was sure that they would not want to be with gay people. This is quite a while ago, so you should be very proud of yourselves. And there were some at St. Luke's. And so, St. Luke's Church, they came to St. Luke's the very next Sunday. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'd be proud of that, too. And were welcomed and stayed. And your guess is as good as anyone's who that is, right? So, a completely unrelated conversation a few days later, another one of you, longtime parishioner, said they came to visit once, twice, had also tried other Episcopal churches, the usual suspects, they said. And one Sunday, that first Sunday, noticed two women and a child sitting together. And then the next Sunday they were here, realized those same two women and that child were sitting together. I'm the only one in the room who doesn't know who this is, but I don't. But the person was telling me this story and said, they realized they were a family. A family, they said. Oh, oh. Turns out this visitor is gay and didn't realize that was something that could happen in one of our churches. And you will find them in church today or watching the live stream. I didn't look that carefully when I came down the aisle. But longtime beloved church member, you know this person. In the act of being yourself here in this church, you have offered a kind of freedom to many, many strangers. So I'll read the reading that was so beautifully read again just because it is so powerful. Indeed, the Word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are known, the writer tells us, we are known. And to be clear, our weaknesses are not who we love or any of those things the world tells us make us less than good enough. These are not about the values of your education or your income or your class or your background or your language or your culture or your work that tell us that some might make us, some things make us weak and some make us strong. Not that. Our weaknesses are that we confuse the ways of this world with the ways of God, and nowhere more so than in that very direct reading from Mark today. What is this about, right? Those words burn my ears every time I hear them read aloud. They burn my eyes. If you take them seriously, they're just going to hurt your feelings. They should. And if they didn't, read it again. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. Some translations say Jesus had compassion for him. And you can see the scene. An elegant young man comes to the very less than elegant Jesus and kneels, probably elegantly, and asks, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to be saved is the question, right? Probably in a really lovely accent. He is a good man. He knows he's a good man. Like that priest that knew the visitor should not come to St. Luke's probably, right? And how lucky that not only is he good and conscientious, he's rich, right? He's a landowner is what that would have meant at the time. And like most societies like that in history, it's a pretty brutal business that bound whole groups of people into perpetual poverty and labor based upon debt. He inherits it, it says, a brutal business. And then he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So there are a lot of ways to play with this text, which I'm sure you've heard. I heard them growing up. Really creative and, and makes you wonder how the Bible works because they're so creative. And frankly, I don't think most of it works. It says what it says in Greek too, is what I understand. If anything, it says very clearly to me, watch out, because it's one thing for us to love Jesus or to try, but if Jesus loves you, watch out. <laughs> the Gospels are demanding of us. And in this week in which we remember the struggles for inclusion in the church and society, this particular passage reminds us of the roots of all struggle for equality and opportunity and dignity. At Chautauqua, the Methodist campsite, and now the conference centers, there's some in New York and I think in Michigan, they have these old maps that you can walk through of ancient Israel. You might remember these from the back of your Bible when you were a kid. I, I had them, and I remember wondering why. Why does it matter what the world looked like 3,000 years ago, and how would you know, right? Um, well, I was walking around in one of these with Gene Robinson, who actually now does programming at Chautauqua, 
and it became kind of clear to me why you'd want to know. The teaching tool is like a diorama, so you can literally walk from Jerusalem to Bethany to Galilee or whatever. Some of you have probably done this. It's, it's pretty amazing. The Methodists take their Sunday school very seriously and teach their teachers very well. So I'm poking around in this thing, and as you do it, and I'm not even in the Holy Land, I'm in upstate New York, right, walking around in, a, in fake blue water, the stories start to watch o- wash over you, because we know these stories. As you kind of stand on the top of the Mount of Olives and remember Jesus' words to the city, you walk. And it feels like a series of marches through a small place, frankly, expressing his own freedom, telling his own story, defining his place and his people in the walking itself, like a parade or a protest. It's why we do it, right? On these streets, we are acting free. In these streets, in these walks, he tells these stories of what it means to be free, and that's what's happening today. He's about to set off on a journey. Today, he walks with the crowds and tells them stories. Now, he's just blessed all the children and invited them close. Remember, the disciples thought that was a bad idea. And then the disciples are about to argue about who is the greatest among them. It doesn't, that doesn't go well either. And in between, you've got this passage. This man runs up and interrupts this message, which is clearly about the person who is not the good, not the powerful, not the respectable, is the one Jesus draws close. It's so clear to us reading it. But you got to love the people that put this together. We only get this section, which doesn't it sound like pretty much all of us? It could be every one of us, probably. The man runs up, kneels before Jesus, and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies kindly and correctly, do the right things, the things you already do. We might say, love God, love your neighbor. If pressed, we might say, be baptized, receive communion, make your pledge, get involved. If pressed further, we might say, come to a class, EFM is awesome, do you pray? Do you sing? Right? Jesus says to this young man, free people. Take what wealth you have. Give it to those drowning in debt, debt you might have caused, even though those systems will probably crush them again or another generation of their family. That's just how it seems to go in life, right? But don't be part of it. Free people, Jesus says. That's what it means to give away money in the way Jesus says it. Free some people, even temporarily, and eternal life will be for you. Like a piece of fine thread slipping into place on a sewing needle in the hands of a skilled seamstress. How can something be both irresistible and impossible? I'm wondering, but here we are. We will get to our own stewardship soon, and like you, I will set a sensible part aside and write it down on a card and give it to Mark. And there might be some times in the next year when I will feel very aware of what else I could have done with some of that money. But in general, I won't notice it. It is a good I feel good about, like most of you. We know how to give. We know how to do our part. Jesus says today, if you want to be truly free right now, you have to know the precarity of dependence, the truth of our living. We depend on one another. We are a community, all of us, of giving it all away, The gift of reliance upon the holy, the good, as it's described today, that good means holy, like the good book, as the young man says. The need to believe that a better world is possible because the world without any protection is not good for you or for anyone right now. These are hard words for those of us that live here in the richest parts of the planet. And to be clear, that wealth means we get to see doctors, 
right, and take medicine when we're sick, and live with an ease that means our bodies last longer. I'm for that, right? We get to guarantee a stability to our children and our parents. We all want. We don't spend all day looking for food and water. These are no small things for anything, anyone that I know, right? This is not light. I don't mean it lightly. And Jesus tells us there are spiritual costs and real-life costs for others affected by what it takes to make our very good lives work, even back then as today. Our faith requires that we can look at such things squarely as we make our choices. At a different level, those people who we remember when we march on Pride Sunday, like those Jesus walks that Jesus took, took a very similar risk in their own time, and some of that time is right now. It might not have been financial, but for many, it was huge financial implications for being out. It was in real life that being out gave away safety, maybe work, maybe honor, maybe family. For some, every one of those things, and again, that continues through today. For some of us, giving it all away has been an essential part of faith. That Jesus, who says that we can follow him, wants us to follow as we are, potentially without mother or father or sibling, if we tell the truth. It is my experience that a gift of that kind of integrity is a freedom, and freedom is terrifying and true. We are all given the opportunity to step into that kind of truth in our lives, and as Jesus says to the rich man today, some of us can offer at least a taste of freedom to others as well. The man declines the offer. I hope he rethinks it, but it says he he leaves and he's not encouraged, he's dejected. So let's not do that. Let us make our goodness about other people. Let us not listen to these words for only the ones that we like. Let's rewild this wild Bible of ours to seek out new ways to live faithfully that will challenge us today in love for one another, in light of that God who sees us just as we are. There is no need to hide that God that looks at us with eyes of love and compassion for the suffering that we pile upon ourselves and invites us to be free. And if that isn't hard enough for you, help to free someone else. For mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible.